Look at that beautiful face. It's actually like has a jawline coming in. It's wild. Haven't seen one of those since I was like an infant. Um, have you lost weight recently or something? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I like changed my food completely. I'm down like 25 pounds since February. That's great, man. Yeah, I just got back into the gym too and I'm hurting. You know, I thought recently that I might want to hire um, a trainer. Did you do the trainer route or are you doing your own regimen? Uh, I, uh, a friend of mine is a personal trainer, so I actually reached out to her and she made some like workouts for me in PDF form because I, I started working out in right before the pandemic hit. So she sent me all this stuff. Then once the pandemic hit, I didn't work out at all. So now I'm using them. <laughs> nice. How did you change your diet? Are you doing like uh, meal prep and all that? Kind of. I'm doing the, it's meal prep, but it's delivery. Uh, it's God bless the company freshly. I think Okay. Yeah. they do a lot of like veggie replacement. Uh, pasta dishes like cauliflower, rice pastas, things like that. So it's foods that I like and taste good, but I don't have to put any effort into actually making them, which is great. What made you want to to do that? Did you hit a bottom around your weight or was it uh, something that you've been thinking about for a while? Uh, well, I've been heavy on and off for most of my life, but at the end of last year, just after everything going on with obviously COVID and then just me sort of just putting YouTube on the back burner for a minute, I got up to like almost 250, just sitting around eating DoorDash like twice a day, doing nothing, smoking a bunch of weed and watching movies, like accomplishing nothing. And I just got fatter than ever before. So I was like, holy shit, I need to stop or I'm going to be on 600 pound life soon. So uh, I just decided the heart like cold turkey, just quit everything. It's the only way I'm able to do shit. Well, that's awesome. Congrats on their weight loss. That's great. I'm sure that feels Thanks, good. Man. Yeah. Well, I didn't even do um, an interview, so uh, I'm sorry, uh, introduction, but um, guys, <laughs> this is Big Jiggly Panda. If you've never met him before, uh, YouTuber, sometimes streamer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, very rarely. Very rarely. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I usually do a disclaimer at this point where I tell people that um, I am not a licensed professional therapist or a psychiatrist. I assume the same case. It's the same case for you. Uh, yeah. So, um, we can't, uh, neither one of us can give professional advice. We can only speak from our experience and then hopefully you guys relate to that experience. But you, if you guys have any more questions, uh, if you have any more um, pressing concerns, we re recommend that you actually seek a professional instead of, um, seeking advice from people like me or, um, Panda here. But, um, sure. I don't know your real name. Actually. I was thinking about that this morning. Do you, is it is <laughs> Anthony? A, Anthony. Okay. <laughs> I did know that. Yeah. It's in your Twitter. Um, Anthony, how did you get the name Big Jiggly Panda? Dude, oh my god. So I, I used to go by, uh, I, I think it was Powerpuff Girls, where it was like IR Monkey or something like that, where it was, or IR Baboon. Maybe it was Samurai Jack, I don't remember. It was an old cartoon that I used to watch. So my, my Xbox name was IR Panda, because I just love pandas. And that was taken on YouTube. I actually was creating a new YouTube because I was watching like Machinima Respawn at the time, and I was like, well, I need a name that doesn't suck. <laughs> so uh, I was sitting in my apartment. I was inebriated on something. I don't remember what. It was a rough time. So I just found adjectives that felt like they described my favorite kind of animal and myself because I was fat. So I went with Big Jiggly Panda and it was available. I didn't expect it to ever be like a monetary thing or me making money. It was really just to watch videos and make, leave comments. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know. I kind of like the name now that I've been stuck with it for so long. <laughs> I mean, you went with your name, which is great. Good for you. It's yeah. easy to go with that. Easy brain. I should have gone with that route. <laughs> yeah, there's not too many just straight up Anthony's on YouTube, so you could have cornered the no. market on that one. I got to rebrand. I mean, it's probably a little <laughs> too late, but we can try it.
No, I think your name is good. I wouldn't rebrand if I was you. It's um, something you don't forget. I go with that at least. That's what I tell people. Like, you yeah. won't forget that stupid name. It does stick with you, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, how, uh, where, you know, where are you from? What kind of environment did you grow up in? Did you get along with your peers? Were you bullied? Give me your backstory here. What's the origin story? Gotcha. Uh, well, I was born in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I pretty much grew up there till my early 20s. So all of my developmental years were here. Uh, I went to private school. My graduating class would have been about like 50 people. If that gives you an idea of how small the school was. Um, Your high school and- class? No, that's just like my my middle school. My graduating high school class was probably <clears throat> four or five hundred. Still not very big. Small town stuff. The area I grew up in, I think, maybe has 30,000 people in the city. So not large. Mm-hmm. Um, and bullied through middle or elementary school, I guess. God, I was, we have so many different names here. Don't, don't, don't they just call it primary school in the UK and it covers pretty much everything? I just call one through eight. Um, grade school. I know I shouldn't. Oh, there you go. I, That's I, I, smart. I went to a private Catholic school, so we it was all first through eighth grade, and my class was real tiny too. It was like thirty people, and then yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I went to a private Catholic school here, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade, uh, and then I went to public school from there on out through high school. Um, what was that interest- transition like? Because I, I remember being really afraid of public school. Like I got real used to small classrooms. And so the idea of going to a public school with hundreds of kids terrified me. It was actually, it was a relief for me. I got, so long story short, I got myself kicked out of private school intentionally because I was just fed up with it. And I knew my parents weren't going to pull me out. It wasn't a pride thing. They were just trying to give me the best education. But I got bullied pretty bad. And I, I feuded with my teachers. So I did some bad shit and got myself kicked out. So the transition to public school was great because... I was welcomed more there. Um, there was more of a broad selection of people to actually have a chance to hit it off with somebody as opposed to just that small knit group of pretentious Catholic kids who were brought up by their asshole parents. So mm-hmm. They reflected that public school is such a broad range of people. Like it was great because I was actually able to find people that I could genuinely mesh with and be myself without feeling like I was being judged. And I didn't get that in private school at all. Do you feel comfortable saying what you did to get kicked out or is it, or is, is that off limits? Oh yeah. No, I don't care. Um, I feuded with the teacher, like I said, in sixth grade pretty heavily. And there was at one point she threatened me in class where she said like, I need you to go out to the principal's office before I do something I regret. And I was like, okay, bitch, like bring it. So this was in, let's see, sixth grade. So I would have been 11 or 12. So like 2001, 2002, so th- imagine computer systems then, not very secure, not very complex. So I just got on to the student computers, which had access to all the files, and I deleted her entire fucking curriculum. No. Oh, yeah, every bit of it. Every single thing, all the grades, every class that she had planned for this year and years coming, I deleted every fucking bit of it. Oh, my and God. Then, and then I told pretty much everybody, and of course they ratted, and I was reported, and then I went to the principal's office, and he was like, well, why did you do it? And I was like, she had it coming. And then they expelled me. <laughs> so you talk a little bit about bullying. Um, what kind of bullying did you experience? Uh, it wasn't anything like, I mean, it was physical maybe a few times. Nothing like fights. It was just like I'd get kneed in the balls at gym class, or people would push me over if I was like picking something up off the ground. And I was just an easy target because I was the fat kid with glasses on and off. Um, 
but it was mostly just verbal like you know just talking down on me like my parents weren't married at uh at the time so they would pick on me for having you know a fucked up family or they would just call me fat or just whatever a middle school kid can come up with that could be insulting you know they would say it and it just got to the point where i was like i i don't belong here like i don't fit in nobody likes me the teachers don't like me like i don't feel welcome for this eight hours a day when you're supposed to be learning and like making friends so like i said i got the hell out of there on my own terms <laughs> so did you know at the time that what you were going through was fucked up or did you internalize the bullying um to a certain extent to the point that maybe you thought that you deserved it on some level or or were you just aware this is bullshit i'm not being treated right um how did you react to it internally it you know at first it was probably just like am i doing something to deserve this because i think being treated like that is not a natural thing so your response is going to be what is happening like trying to rationalize why it's happening i guess um so i'm sure for the first little bit i was like I mean, they're right. I am chubby, so I do deserve to be made fun of for that, I guess. Or my family isn't like yours, so I guess I'm a target. Like, I, I rationalize it. It made sense. And then after I just, as I got older and and smarter, I mean, I just started to realize like this because I didn't treat people like that. Uh, and my friends that I was actually semi close with didn't talk to other people like that. So I was like, this isn't normal. Like. <laughs> when I would ask my parents, they'd be like, "I'd be is like, why? Why is this happening?" Of course, they would say, well, "We don't know. They're just bullies." But as it went on, because it probably started in third grade, um, and then got to like sixth grade. So you know, we're talking almost a teenager. You're able to, you're smarter than people give you credit for yeah. at twelve. So I was like, you know, this is fucking bullshit. Like you said, like I don't, I don't want to put up with this anymore. And I had two more years at that school if I would have kept going. So I was like. Eh. Got to make a choice now because <laughs> I, I had asked my mom if I could go to public school multiple times. And she was like, no, maybe high school. But the goal was for me to go to a Catholic high school as well. So, yeah, I, I just I had to do like the the shitty thing, which ruined, you know, it made her look bad. It made everybody look bad. But in the end, it was a necessary thing. Um, did your parents give you any kind of uh, guidance or advice for how to deal with the bullies? Or was it just sort of, well, you got to figure it out sometime? Uh, I think my dad was like a typical dad, which is just like, don't put up with their shit. <laughs> um, I didn't, I was like only seeing him on weekends anyway. So most of the time it was, it was just me communicating with mom and she just tried to emotionally talk to me about how it's, it's going to happen. Um, there's probably nothing you can do to make it stop. And it's just like, I started, um, I, well, the guidance counselor at school at that point was realizing that I was going through some shit. I was also struggling in class because I had ADD. Um, so it was just they got they got me on medication at like. Nine or ten and that started to help, uh, which also just made me a target because I had to take meds at school. <laughs> right. So these kids were picking on me for that kind of shit, too. But um, so I was it was rationalized a little bit, too, with the medication, which is like, you know, we're. This is going to help, you know, normalize my behavior because I was super fidgety and things like that. And just more things that kids would pick on. Like, what's wrong with you? Why do you always move? Shit like that. Um, I kind of lost track of where I was going with that. But it. Uh, you were talking she, about it. She did what she could, I guess. Yeah. 
to rationalize with a 10 year old kid like why that's happening because it's i'm sure it's hard to even tell someone that's 30 why they would get picked on let yeah. alone a 10 year old kid um there's a little bit of overlap between our stories uh my parents were together but my dad worked a lot of graveyard shifts so she was she was the person i spent most of my time with and yeah. uh i got relentlessly bullied from second grade till about i'm gonna say seventh grade was was when i started to turn the corner and I, yeah. I, I started to get like a little bit more popular or at least tolerable to the popular kids to the point where they weren't <laughs> picking on me as much. But right. un- unfortunately, when I look back on on that time, uh, one thing that I did to cope with the bullying that I received was to find other people that I could try to bully too. That's something that I deeply regret. I was, of course, a child and I didn't know any better. And of course, I wouldn't do that now. Um, right. But but I. I, I internalize, okay, well, the way that you become popular is by just brutally humiliating other people. That, that, right. that was the lesson that I learned from, um, from grade school. Um, so I yeah, definitely this- was guilty of that as well. Uh, I mean, I could even think of a few instances off the top of my head where it was, you hear somebody make a comment, you, you kind of run with it, and then you become the asshole for a little while. And it still didn't make me popular, so I think I had like an ultimatum early on where it's like this doesn't feel right yeah um but i i think a lot of people definitely have gone down that route especially kids that have been picked on it's like well how can i be how can i pass this along so i'm not the one that's picked on how can i get the hell out of this situation where i'm the weird kid let's find a flaw in some other kids that he gets picked on and i can get a laugh so it made me funny you know, like most trauma does. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, another similarity with my story too. Is that I was I was sort of forced to develop a sense of humor in order to get in with my peers. It was a it was right. a, it was a necessary evolutionary trait. Um, yeah, it became I, necessary for me to be able to make them laugh before they could laugh at me. Right. That's you know exactly, what I mean? Like, yeah. it was how how can I like dance like a gesture like hoo, 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 look make a joke oh look they're laughing but not at me this time so i'm doing something right isn't that Which, of interesting. course maybe like the class clown and you know the teachers hated me for because i was always acting out isn't that interesting though i mean when you think about the line of work that you got in or that we got in um but in, you right. know, in your case you know kid bullied relentlessly uh during like really formative time of your life uh you develop this sense of humor and then it leads to either directly or indirectly a career where, uh, you know, thousands or millions of people are praising you. So it's like you're, you're getting this psychological need satisfied that you developed in adolescence yeah. <laughs> and it's being addressed in your adult life. I just, I think that, I think that that's probably the case for a lot of YouTubers where they got picked on a lot and yeah. uh, the validation that they get from their viewers um, sort of, retroactively addresses some of those insecurities um have you do you find yourself hating the attention sometimes uh, like does it feel overwhelming i guess it did at a time yeah there was there was a time where i dropped off the face of the planet because i just didn't like the um i felt like it was inauthentic like i, I felt like you know you you're a certain way when you're around your friends right like if you're yeah. around some irl friends certain people will bring out certain personality traits so some people are going to make you very playful maybe some people are going to make you very introspective you know like your deep stoner friends or whatever maybe they get you to think <laughs> yeah. about the mysteries of the universe but my interaction with the with the viewers um the with the one-way interaction was only bringing out a certain part of my personality and then i felt i started to become confused a little bit about who i was i don't know if you've ever had that experience 
Oh, like sort of a like an identity crisis or more of like a, an imposter syndrome? Which one were you thinking more of? Well, there was definitely an imposter syndrome stuff going on there, but it was it was a, I would call it an identity crisis for sure. I, I legit after doing it for a couple of years, I just didn't know who I was anymore. And I and the person that I was outwardly acting uh, the, or, or the, the personality that I was outwardly displaying, I, I started to really not like that that person. So yeah. I think I just needed. Do you feel you were more authentic on your channel? And it, or let me rephrase that. Do you feel you're more authentic on just the Hutch channel before you went to Machinima? Like that's when I was started watching and you were talking about like working at Olive Garden or like you had that that really bad breakup with your ex or whatever. Like those oh. things stick out to me because they were like, wow, you're open and honest. This isn't like people just giving me game tips yeah. on Machinima. Like that's why I was like from early on in my YouTube videos, I was pretty open about shit because I connected with your approach and even John like S and D's. Yeah. He was ridiculous, but he was still legitimate yeah. and honest with his videos. Like that shit always stuck out more to me, but I guess going back, like, do you feel like once you got the machinima, you had to be a character as opposed um, to just Sean? Yeah, definitely. That was the case. I, I was, yeah. I was very transparent in the beginning and like my, my inspiration growing up were people like Howard Stern and, uh, <clears throat> yeah. To a certain extent, like Bill Maher, but people people that spoke like really bluntly and openly about very taboo subjects, those were like my idols growing up. George Carlin, those kinds yeah, I was of about people. to say Carlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, when I started making videos, I didn't want to just be sort of like a bubbly personality or or anything like that. I wanted to, right? You know, just tell people about what's go what was going on in my life. Um, but yeah, that, I, I would say once I got to Machinima, I felt there was a lot of pressure there to um, perform well in a in a role that I was completely unfamiliar with, and mm -hmm. um, that that got that was really tough sometimes. Most of the time it was really fun, but there were a lot of times where it was it was very challenging. Um, what about you? Like, uh, you, so have you noticed um, your personality change at all since you got into this uh, line of work? I mean, I, I wanted to get oh, into yeah. like depression and anxiety. Um, uh, do you you know how do you experience those things now? Did you experience them before? You know, how has that changed? Yeah, I mean, we could actually. I could segue into that with how work sort of changed my personality. And that was when I first started doing YouTube, I had just moved to Florida. Uh, I knew nobody except for my parents. I was basically isolated and I've always been an angry person, like quick to snap, I guess. Uh, and that became a, like a very popular part of my videos. People came to my channel to watch me be angry. And it got to the point where those videos were so successful that it, I embraced it. And I just stayed angry all the time, whether it was recording or when I hit stop recording and just went to go hang out with uh, my girlfriend at the time or my friends or my family. I was just always quick to snap. And it got to the point where I just had to stop. Like I, I couldn't if I got myself, I, I quit playing Call of Duty entirely. Uh, I stepped away from YouTube for like two years because it was just. And then when I came back, I still raged. It was it was because it got the views, it got the clicks and it became I became obsessed with it, I guess, because they was successful and I saw numbers and I just stayed angry uh, and I let it become. Acceptable, I guess, to just lash out all the time, because um, like I said, I've always been angry. I've always been quick to trigger, but. Uh, I sort of just let that wall down. I was just angry all the fucking time. Like I've, I ruined a relationship. Um, I probably ruined some friendships. Uh, it, 
I mean, it's affected a lot of things. So uh, that really led me to like open my eyes to why was I so fucking angry all the time? Uh, and then readdressing basically what I had dealt with when I was 10, which was that depression and that anxiety and actually letting my guard down because I refused to go to therapy. And I was like, I don't need that. Blah, 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 blah. I did it when I was younger. I don't need it again, which was wrong. <laughs> Everybody could benefit from therapy. I mean, I don't, even if you're hunky door and you feel great, like it's probably something you could talk about. So did you, uh, did you see a ther- therapist uh, eventually in your adult life? Yeah, no, okay. I've, I stopped. I, I was seeing a therapist all through 2019. Uh, when, when COVID hit, I stopped cause I, I can't do phone therapy and I can't do video chat. Like I need to be in the same room and read mannerisms and, be able to talk to somebody like genuinely um it's different it really is and like you know there's there's like the the therapy app that people use where you're just texting somebody that doesn't do shit for me because you're in therapy because you need someone to sometimes call you out on your bullshit and if you're just texting they they can't see if you're lying through your teeth i guess just to be blunt whereas if you're sitting with somebody in a room they can just be like is that really how you feel? Or are you yeah. just fucking saying that? Because you know that, you know, we got 10 minutes left on the session and you need to get out of here. Like once I actually dropped those walls and those guards and actually just accepted that, like, Hey, I need some fucking help. Um, it completely changed like my outlook on a lot of things. So usually, work especially usually people don't end up in a therapist's office because shit's going well like i've never met someone in in, who was at a really good point in their life and was like you know what i'm just going to preemptively go do therapy now like it's usually (laughs) it's usually the the case that people hit some sort of a bottom uh so was was that the case for you so like what what, uh, how bad did things get before you decided to finally uh let your guard down and and talk to somebody uh it was i mean it was bad like i said it was i was in a i was it ruined a relationship that i was in i was extremely toxic um just angry all the fucking time hard to be around impossible to love like hindsight is 2020 i was just an asshole um so when that relationship ended and i was left in isolation in my home alone and i just festered in it more and more and more like i would i would feel i would get angry at myself for feeling shitty and then i would feel shitty because i got angry at myself and then it was like that cycle that would just continue and i just really hit like a bad spot um i moved into this house that i'm in now in early 2019 and like the first six months that i was here i didn't like even um, i didn't unpack boxes i didn't decorate like just i feel like i lived in a hole um because mentally i was just fucked um i was in a long distance relationship quickly after i broke up with the the one girl like three months and not being able to see somebody when you're in a dark, like a dark spot that you connect with pushed me nearly to the edge. And that's when I was like, I, I need to just fucking do it. Like I need to actually get help before I do something that is irreversible, whether it be to myself or just a stupid mistake. And I shut people mm. out and I ruin friendships or family, something like that. Yeah. Um, Did it take the girl you- I was with at that time really was a big help too. Cause she, she urged me in a positive way, not as in like a you're fucked up, you need help, which would immediately repel me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she was a big help. Uh, but uh, what were you saying? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. No, uh, no, I was cutting you off. Um, 
what was the um the first session like for you like for some people I've, I've visited therapists where i was a little guarded at first and it took me like <clears throat> several sessions before i could open up and then i've i've visited a therapist also where i just fucking broke down that first session and just started bawling <laughs> which is just yeah it's such a weird interesting experience to step into a room with a stranger and then just get that vulnerable with them but um yeah. right i think so my first session is i I was guarded for sure because I wanted to make sure, first of all, that I felt comfortable talking to this person. Um, I sort of did some homework and spoke to a few on the phone before I actually committed to going and doing a session because the money is exchanged at that point. Um, so I went, I went and sat down and talked with this guy. His name was Dale, and he was very... I don't know. There was just something very warm and welcoming about him. I didn't feel clinical. It felt more like a... Like if you got to go talk to your granddad and he's just like the one that just sits there and listens and then gives you good advice. That's that's kind of how it felt. So it was an hour session. Probably the first 20 minutes was us just being cordial and, you know, introducing ourselves and things like that. But then he immediately got the business and was like, well, tell me what's going on. What seems to be the cause? Why do you think this is going on? Um, and it 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 immediately he was like, well, how do you want to approach this? First of all, do you want to do clinical or do you want to do more of a. Uh, not like a life coach, but more of like a counseling, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I started that way for like the first month, which was just sort of, let me just dump my feelings. Give me some ideas of what you think I should do to sort of, when I feel like a panic attack coming, or if I feel myself getting really angry, like some breathing techniques or meditation techniques, like natural things like that. Um, and just talking to him, I was going once a week uh, as opposed to biweekly, which he wanted to do at first. I was like, no, I'm, I'm coming back next week, dude. We got to talk. <laughs> like, you, there's a, there's once, a lot. Once every two weeks you wanted originally? Yeah, just because of cost. And I was yeah. like, look, dude, I don't care how much it costs. I'll come in here by, I'll come in here twice a week if I feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, so I, for the first month or two, I went once a week. And just immediately, just like letting things out, I felt better to a degree because I'm, I don't, I will open up to the weirdest fucking people like almost strangers because I know I'll never see them again. So I don't care if they judge me. I guess that's like the mindset I have. Like I'll meet somebody new and I'll be like, hey, how's it going? And then we'll we'll somehow tell a life story to each other. And I'll yeah. be like, OK, cool. Nice talking to you. Never see you again. So there's no consequence, I guess. So uh, when I was finally comfortable and like spoke with him and I and all these breathing techniques and stuff and. I realized like I was. I needed to do a more of a clinical approach, you know, medication, like actually get like a diagnosis, go from there. And then as soon as I decided to go down that route or down that route is when uh, basically the pandemic hit and I had to stop going. <laughs> right. You know, I, but, I, I was a little turned off by like Zoom therapy in the beginning. It was like, oh, this isn't the same because it's not just about the things that you mentioned, although those things are true too, but there's also an emotional exchange with, a th with a therapist. There's a, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a flow of empathy and it's harder to get that looking at a screen, but it's not impossible. Like I did adapt to it and it ended up, I, I do, I do zoom therapy now and, um, and I got used to it and it's, and it's fine. In fact, in some ways I think I prefer it because I don't have to, you know, get in my car and drive to the therapist's office. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. But, I, but I wanted to switch gears a little bit and just ask you about sort of like how you experience anxiety and sort of um, I, wa I wanted to also talk about the fact that 
a lot of the times with panic attacks and anxiety feelings of depression at least for me it, it was the case that these feelings were uh were feelings that i had experienced when i was real young and and certain triggering experiences when i was older would bring those emotions back up again and it would take me back it was like a, a memory an emotional memory it would take me back to that to that moment <clears throat> yeah i wanted to ask you just like how do you experience anxiety how does it manifest in your life um and have you noticed a, a through line from sort of traumatic stuff from your childhood to adulthood um yeah do, do those feelings and experiences feel familiar in that regard sure yeah um the as far as like what i would say like the I, i'm gonna go with what you last said and then kind of go in reverse here the big thing that it really kicked it off for me uh was when my grandfather passed away when i was eight like i was saying like my dad wasn't around a ton because he was working so damn much and traveling and all that fun stuff so when he passed away he was a real father figure uh for those like first eight years of my life and i did not know how to handle those kind of emotions and it it turned me into sort of like that outburst kind of it was emotional anger uh and sadness and all that stuff that was built up and i think i held on to that for a long time um this is going to sound so ridiculous but i actually this was like one of the first things i mentioned to my therapist because i don't hold on to a lot of things that i can like you, you were saying how they take you back to like a childhood feeling um the one for me is guilt like whenever i feel guilty about something i have this flashback to uh the night that my grandfather passed away uh i was there and he spoke like his last words were to me but in my brain it didn't sound like him and i also knew the severity of i guess his situation even at that age i mean you could just tell and everybody had been telling me like you know pop is probably not going to be around much longer so when I left the room that night, because I was so I felt so awkward and the way he sounded sounded so weird to me that I laughed uh, in the hallway and then he died that night. So I had this weird childhood guilt that he heard me laugh. It broke his heart and he died. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I carried that shit for like 20 fucking years. Wow. Like just that weird bottom of my gut guilt that like. Killed my grandpa. <laughs> and you didn't and you didn't talk to anybody about that when you were a kid? You didn't talk to anybody about those feelings? Uh I don't I honestly don't remember if I did or not. Um we had I, I went to a grief camp that was hosted by hospice uh the summer that he passed away. Because he passed away in February. Um so I guess like that June or July. Uh so it was a grief camp full of other kids that had lost loved ones or friends or close people to them. Uh, and they were all children. They, it was sort of coaching them how to experience and handle grief. So I may have expressed those feelings to them. Um, but I probably didn't mention it to anybody but my mom probably until my early to mid-20s. So we're talking 15 years after that happened. And it, and it wasn't an open question in your mind? It was like conviction? Like, no, I, I am the thing that caused this thing? Like, I, yeah, like it was, I mean, he was dying of lung cancer. He was going to pass either way. But my brain told me that that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like that he heard me laugh in the hallway and that he knew that I was laughing because of him and that it broke his heart. And then it, that's what killed him. <laughs> I mean, that's, it sounds so ridiculous, right? But as a kid, when you're nine years or eight, nine years old and you're 
staring at your grandfather dying like you don't know what the fuck to think that is a that's a lot for an adult to handle let alone a kid i i had a similar right. i had a similar experience my grandma had a stroke and uh i was i don't i don't remember how old i was but i was much younger and mm-hmm. um we went to go visit her in the hospital and we had a really contentious relationship with my grandma. She was sort of like an open bigot, like an open racist and, and would just, it, she was a very difficult person, but you know, yeah. she, she was our grandma <laughs> and she was our dad's mom and he loved her. And so there was a connection there. Um, but she, her left arm was, was, uh, I don't know what it has to do with strokes, but her left arm was kind of immobilized and a, yeah. and a nurse came in and and thought it was her right arm and so so she she went to pick up her her left arm and my grandma who was in sort of like a catatonic state let out this blood curdling scream um and because these these situations are just difficult to deal with emotionally like who knows how to deal with this i had to right. i started to laugh a little bit and i had to like mask it with a cough um, and mm-hmm. I, I still think about that to this day, like, even though we didn't get along and I don't really consider her like a positive force in my life or my dad's life. Um, I still, I still feel guilt when I, when I think about that, that laugh. Yeah. Um, maybe in hindsight, it's just cause you know, at that point in time, they were at their lowest of the lows and you're just sitting there laughing. Like maybe that's how my mind now would process that. But as a kid, I was like, I fucking killed him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was it was crazy, like the most absurd thing that you would think. And I held on to it. I mean, obviously, I knew realistically I did not kill him. I thought that emotionally that was the last straw for him. And then he just passed on from there. I don't know how to explain it. It was so weird. Well, if he was late stage cancer, I was I I was I would assume he was on some pretty heavy painkillers. And so, oh, yeah, it's probably likely the case that he didn't hear you or register what he was hearing if he did right and that's when i had that conversation with my therapist he was like i'm gonna give you a couple reasons why we're gonna move on from this yeah (laughs) basically things like that which you know it's a broken heart i mean that's more of like a disney thing uh he had final stages of cancer like on life support rest of the family knew that he was gonna pass away in the next 48 hours as a kid i'm just like See you tomorrow, I guess. Like, I don't know. So yeah. it was just all those different things that realistically he was not going to make it any longer than he did. But my little stupid brain, because I didn't know how to process that moment, was like, oh, my God, he heard me laughing at him. Yeah. He died because of it. <laughs> guilt, guilt and death are real motherfuckers. Um, oh, yeah. My my sister recently passed and I talk about her a lot on this podcast, but, you know, it was like less than a year ago. And I'm still I'm still I'm still, you know, I'm st- I'm still grieving for sure. And so it helps for yeah. me to talk about it. I've, for some reason, I feel self-conscious about le- the fact that I'm talking about her a lot. Like I need to add that disclaimer, but it's very understandable that I would want to talk about that. But, um, mm-hmm. the, you know, one of the last things I ever told her was. uh it, it was really tough because my mom called me up and she said, listen, I don't think Tiff has a lot more, a lot of time left. So if there's anything you, you want to say, you should come and, 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 and say it. And, and I, 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 maybe I didn't want to process what she was telling me because my immediate reaction was, okay, well, I think she called me on like a Monday or a Sunday. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll be up there like on the weekend, Friday or something like that. And she, she, yep. she stressed, no, I don't, you know, I, I think you should probably come sooner. And that's when it like clicked, like, okay, it's happening. This, this thing that I've been expecting to happen for like nine months is finally happening. Right. And, um, 
my mom kept on encouraging me to to say something like to to say something final to her but i had a really hard time doing it because tiff was not she didn't she was right up until the very end she was trying to look for ways to beat this cancer um and so it was it was difficult for her to accept what was happening even even at the very end and i didn't i didn't want to I didn't want to say something like, I'm going to miss you so much and then have it be just a reminder that she was going to pass soon. So like I was having a real hard time figuring out what I wanted to say. And, uh, finally I just one one night we had to move her from the living room to the, uh, to the, uh, to the other living room where, where the hospice bed was set up. And I was sitting, as I was sitting her down, I just said, Hey, do you know how much I love being your little brother? And she kind of laughed and she said, well, now I know. And to this day, I don't know if she was telling me, I wish you would have told me that I loved you more or if she was just making a joke. And so like, I'm like, that's part of the grieving process is just sort of like, you know, overthinking everything. Yeah. Thinking about these things and, and, um, it's difficult and I can't even imagine what that would have been like if you were a eight year old with a strong bond towards your, your grandpa. Right. uh, I'm sure that would have been an extremely difficult situation for you to deal with. Yeah. And I didn't know how to process that kind of stuff either. So I latched on to something that at that time made sense to me, how I carried that for as long as I did. And I mean, I I obviously I logically, I accepted years after that, that that wasn't the truth, but it was just the guilt of that situation hung with me for a very long time. Just the last time I ever saw my grandfather, I essentially laughed at him and then he died. Like, something i just you won't ever let go of (laughs) because you can't change it well i wanted to ask you how do you people experience anxiety and depression differently um right there's like a wide spectrum of ways that it can affect your life just wondering how it affects you not not just internally but externally as well um sure what is your what does your external life look like when you're anxious or depressed and then like where do you feel those feelings in your body like how do you how do you physically experience those feelings Gotcha. Um, I guess internally, my my brain runs a million miles a minute. Um, I take medication. I take Celexa and Wellbutrin, so I'm medicated for ADD, anxiety, and depression, which is a lovely cocktail, let me tell you. Um, so it's it's really hard for me to sort of pinpoint which thing is anxiety, which thing is depression, and which thing is just my my ADD trying to say like, let's change gears real quick, like constantly. Um, I don't really manifest it into like panic attacks. It's very, very rare that that happens. Um, I actually haven't had one since I got onto the medication about a year ago. Describe what um, a panic attack is for people that maybe don't understand what it is. What, what, what does that feel like? So my most recent one, I was actually driving on the interstate. Um, and my whole body tensed up like I I was white knuckling the steering wheel and I just had it just felt like irrational fear like was just draped over me of what I couldn't tell you just everything made me feel afraid Mm -hmm. and I was afraid to blink because I felt like if I blinked while on the road I would I would have just immediately crash and because I was on the interstate and had nowhere to pull off to the side it was like a 20 minute panic attack um it was brutal but other panic attacks I've had where I've just been sitting at home or whatever, I just get like, it's, it's almost just like extremely overwhelmed. I get short of breath. My brain can't process 
really any sort of emotion at that point. It's just, it's like it's like a computer grinding information as quickly as it can. It just slows the whole system down. Like rendering a video on Premiere and you try to watch Netflix, good fucking luck. That's basically what my brain does. Um, I can't really describe it a whole lot better than that. I mean, it's thankfully it's been like 15 months since I've had one, so the memory isn't fresh in my brain. Isn't that fucked um, up, though? Because your body has these stress responses for a reason. There's right. A, there's an evolutionary reason why your body pumps cortisol and adrenaline. It's to address actual threats. So if a, if you you know step outside of your hut or whatever and you see a fucking lion like 100 feet away, <laughs> right. your body does that to protect you, and that's a good thing. But... I don't know if it's a if it's just a I don't know if you know like hunter gatherers had panic attacks twenty thousand years ago, uh, but you get these situations that don't call for this level of panic, and yet your body releases these chemicals, <laughs> makes your heart rate go up, and you can't breathe very well, and maybe you can't even see very well sometimes if it's if it's strong enough, and your body thinks that you're being chased by like a wild puma. And in reality, right. it's just like, oh, I have this thing I got to do tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, right. <laughs> it's just that simple. And your body can't distinguish between a simple task and a threat, like an actual threat. Right. Yeah. Like the one that I had on the interstate, I was, I was cutting it close for making a flight. That's all it was. I was just anxious about getting to the airport on time. And if I hadn't had a panic attack for 20 minutes and hit the slow lane doing 45 or 50... I would have made my flight. <laughs> so you did but miss your I didn't. flight? I missed my flight because of my panic of missing my flight. Isn't that fucking beautiful? That's what, quite the self-fulfilling prophecy right there. Wow. <laughs> like I said, if I had just stayed on the, in the left lane and maintained the speed limit and just, you know, focused on the road and not about uh, the what ifs if I don't get there on time, which at that point in time, I don't know if my brain would have allowed me to dismiss that. It was it was on it, and I would I couldn't have let it go. Uh, I was already far too deep, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't going to start doing deep breathing techniques on the middle of seventy five. So it it just it hit, and it just it would not let go. Like the grip that I had on the steering wheel was like the grip that it had on me. It was nuts. That's the worst one that I have ever had, and over something so simple. Like it wasn't even a work flight. It was just going to see people <laughs> yeah like if i had just scheduled another flight it would have been fine but i i don't know um, just sitting at home like normal anxiety for me is it's it's like my add and my anxiety like spliced together into like the sing like the singular thing because i want to sit down and accomplish something and i do and like so i'll come to sit in my office to record a video um and then i get really freaked out like, is my equipment going to work? Am, uh, is, is my microphone okay? Is, do I look okay on camera? Like, is my lighting okay? Um, is this game going to work properly? Which game should I play? What video should I even make today? Yeah. All these things just flood my brain immediately, and I end up doing nothing. Right, yeah. But that, also, but, but it goes to say, it, it goes, that applies to everything, though. Like, if I want to sit down and watch a television show... I'll sit there for an hour just scrolling and then ultimately decide on nothing because <laughs> I can't. It, it's too much. Yeah. If I want to order something from DoorDash, too many options. I get overwhelmed. My brain is just like, fuck it. Just don't eat. It's the, it's the weirdest thing. And like I said, I started Wellbutrin three weeks ago now, which is really helping address the ADD. And I've recorded more videos in the last two weeks than I have in the last two months. Well, like I'm, I'm, 
it's nuts well, that, how quickly this one is helping. That was um that was gonna be something else I wanted to to ask you because to be clear, like this line of work is is it can be extremely fun and the freedom that right. comes the, the freedom that comes with the job is something that I would have a really difficult time parting with. Just the fact that we can make our own hours and do whatever yeah. we want to do, basically. To a certain extent you're beholden to you know, your audience in some respects, uh, but of course. you can't, you know, ultimately you're the one that has a choice. However, there is a unique kind of stress that I think comes with this job. And when it interacts with something like serious anxiety or depression, it can be crippling and debilitating. Um, you yeah. mentioned that you took two years off of YouTube. I mean, uh, did you feel during that time, did you feel comfortable doing that? Like, I just have to do this. This is the right thing for me to do right now. Or did you second guess, guess yourself throughout? Um, like, what was that? What was that break like for you? Uh, this was early on. So this was I took this break uh, around the time of Black Ops 2. So I was far from a professional YouTuber at that point. So I didn't really feel much guilt stepping away from it, because at that point it felt uh, it felt like work which I didn't want it to be at that point. I was working full-time managing at Office Depot, putting in 45, 50, 60 hours a week over there, depending on the time. And then to come home and like try to make videos with the little free time that I had left, it felt like an obligation. So I stepped away. And of course, I would second guess it because I'm like, ah, you know, it's fun. I enjoy it. I miss talking to the guys because those were my close friends at that time where I was in Florida. So my close friends were the guys I had met on YouTube. Um, and then naturally the time that I step away is when everybody's channel started to explode because Black Ops 2 really blew up, you know, for the whole creative space and gaming on YouTube itself was just really going off at that point. So then I was hit with hindsight, fear of missing out and then just regret um, for basically a year and a half. But I just I, I couldn't commit to doing it anymore because I I was making like twelve dollars a month on the one video i would upload i couldn't leave my job making the money that i was yeah but i got to the point where i was in charge of customer service at depot and i was in coastal florida which is just a bunch of like 90 year old people who are just pissed at the world because they're dying soon they got nothing else to do i don't know what their issues are but they would just come in and like suck the soul out of every employee and i did it for five years and i was like you know what at the beginning of 2016 i was like I'm going to start recording with my friends again. I'm going to start making videos again. I need an outlet to get out my emotions and uh, my like my stress with work, which of course turned into the raging, like I mentioned earlier. That that I took my work stress out and I started screaming at video games because very nice. Haha, it's funny, but um, I started making money. Surprise! You play with a bunch of guys that have a bunch of million subs. You start making money, and then of course. You know, we're talking about heck how anxiety manifests. These are guys that I'd known for like six years, close friends, had hung out with, gone to events, you know, shared beds with while incredibly drunk. And when I came back to start making videos, I actually had to message them all in our group chat and be like, guys, I don't know if this needs said, but I really hope you guys don't think I'm coming back to ride your coattails and take advantage of your success. Like I was legitimately afraid that they thought that I was just, you know, milking them even though these were my close friends, like I think that's how anxiety really works for me is that it's, it's things that I know are illogical because I'm a very logical person. I look at things rationally as much as I can. I like to hear both sides of a story, but when a thought like that pops into my head, which I know is completely asinine and it makes no fucking sense. I believe it. 
You know, like yeah. part part of me is just like, it's true. Well, obviously, it's true. Why would it not be? Why would my brain tell me that if it's not fucking true? Yeah. And then I, you know, I tinfoil hat Alex Jones. I conspiracy theorize about how all these things that I'm doing or trying to communicate with my friends. It makes me look like a little piece of shit. Like you, you thought it's, that they it's were absurd. All, you thought that they were all talking shit about you behind your back and calling you a clout, cha clout chaser and all that. Yeah. Like that. Like, and of, and of course they weren't, you know, they were actually in the background saying like, Oh, I'm glad he's back. He's, it's fun to have him around again. We missed you. And in, in my head, I'm like, these guys think I am just sucking their cocks for views right? because I knew them before. So now I'm coming back because they're successful now. Like, that's just what my brain told me. And that that's that, you know, on a daily day to day basis, my brain will do things like that. That is yeah. my anxiety is I think because I have such self-deprecating humor and maybe because of what we talked about with bullying that. My brain will quickly attach to something negative, and if I don't process it as like a joke or it's funny, then I latch onto it as a serious thing. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I had a, anything. I had a, it could be my weight, my appearance, <clears throat> anything like that. I had a similar experience with Sark when I when I got the job at Machinima. Um, yeah. I, I went down there. I had an interview, and there was a programming side of things which determined what went up on the channels, and then there was the production side of things, which was like Respawn and um, Inside Gaming and uh, RB and the Chief, and you, you know. Um, yeah. And originally, the people <laughs> the people in programming, the head of programming, wanted me to work under him, which made no sense. And I, I didn't, I didn't know that it made no sense. I was just, you know, I was being offered a job and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Manager, you know, whatever. Yeah. Call me whatever you want. Just cool title. Let's go. As long as you pay me. And it turns out that behind the scenes, Sark and the head of production were like lobbying to get me over into like respawn. I didn't know that. So I got an email or I got a call saying I was going to be working with Sark. And my immediate thought was, oh, shit, this guy, <laughs> this guy thinks I'm probably a fucking idiot, an amateur. He, he had worked in like TV and he had like actual production right. experience. And so I felt totally out of my depth. And so I called him and I was like, hey, listen, man, um, I don't know if you I don't know if you heard as if he wouldn't have been the first one told. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but I'm going to be working with you. And I just wanted to make sure that um, that that you were cool with that. And he took this pause for a second. and He was like, you know what? Actually, no, I'm not OK with it. It's kind of fucked up. <laughs> and then there was this silence for a while because I thought he was serious and he, he, he held the pause for a little bit and then he was like nah I'm fucking with you um, but, but that's the, how, I mean I could picture him doing it you know oh yeah yeah that's just the way he is but that's just you know like you said that's just one of the ways that anxiety manifests for me and I think probably for a lot of other people is that it turns irrational fears into conviction so something yeah. something that you're afraid of uh, it becomes a reality and then you and then you work off of that framework, you know, so you're living in this new reality here that's not based in reality. And so it convinces right. you that your worst fears are true and uh, they need your attention. And, you know, I got to like talk my way out of it. I got to like give this disclaimer. I got to call Sark and ask if you, I got to tell my friends that I'm not riding their coattails. Just it's just uh, it's kind of fucked up the way that the way that anxiety can direct your life. And um, right. you, talk, you talked about sort of like intrusive thoughts and irrational thoughts um and it's been my experience you know one of the ways that i cope with with anxiety is is by learning to tactically ignore my brain like sometimes i'm having like especially in my relationship with with esme but sometimes i'll have just like these really negative irrational thoughts and and i'm more able to quickly realize okay my brain isn't functioning correctly right now i'm just going to ignore it and so i just go for a walk do the dishes 
play Magic the Gathering, just do something to occupy occupy my time right. for a little bit, come back to it, and then my brain, I'm, I get a different perspective. But I think a lot of the times when people were at their worst, they just listen to their brain all the time when their brain is telling them all the wrong fucked up things. Right. I mean, because that's what we do when things are good, too. It's like, you know, we get that dopamine push, and your brain is like, hey, you're happy. You enjoy this. Bask in this experience. Like, the feeling you get when staring at, like, a beautiful nature setting, like, you can't describe the feeling that your brain gives you, but you just accept it as good. So, of course, when things are bad, you also turn to the same brain to be like, what are we doing here? Like, what do I feel? What, do, what are we supposed to do with this information? Yeah. So when it's a bad thing and you're just so used to accepting that, hey, my brain is leading me the right direction, you tend to believe shit that obviously makes no sense. Yeah. About anything. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the depressed or anxious mind is not, not rational oftentimes. No. Um, so I guess, you know, like what are the, what are, maybe we should get in, into a solution a little bit. Like what are some of the ways that you have learned to manage your stress? Um, where did you, where did you learn those things? How do you apply them in your life, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, a lot of the things that I learned from that therapist in those first early months where we were actually going over uh, like meditation and breathing techniques, but I can't, he, there was also a chart that he showed me where it was like, you literally take your thoughts and, and visualize them, like whether it's writing it down or typing it out, because I'm a very hands-on visual person. So if I take my, my thought, like say I'm thinking, we'll just go with what we were talking about. My friends think I'm using them and then write that down and then stare at it and then go on right next to it. I think it was like, is this rational? Does this make sense? And then you have to sit there and, physically write out yes or no that makes sense and writing it out and seeing it forces you to actually think about it rationally again as opposed to just accepting what your brain was telling you so i i've gotten to the point now where i just do that in my head as opposed to physically writing it down like if i start feeling like like say I, like for example like say i'm on dating apps right now and i haven't gotten a match in like two weeks which is true it's sad, but it's pathetic. It's what it is, what it is. But my brain starts to tell me you're undesirable. You're ugly. Nobody likes you. But I just had to sit there and think like, but is that actually true? Like I've dated people before yeah. who were pretty and like I've had people talk to me recently. I've probably missed signals, but just like stuff like that. Like, am I actually, am I hideous? No, 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 absolutely not. Like just like that. So I've, I've, I've gotten better about slowing myself down. I'm not going to say that I've been able to do all of that on my own either. I mean, the medication has certainly helped. Uh, I guess whether it be chemical imbalances or at least allowing me myself to slow down enough to think rationally again. How do the medications uh, actually function? Like how, do, how, how have you noticed they impact your, your mindset? So with the Celexa, which is, I guess for the, uh, the depression and anxiety sort of targets both that one. I, I don't know how I could describe how it makes me feel better as much as I don't feel as bad as often. I don't, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, like I don't, I guess these crazy thoughts are coming up less and less and less. Um, and then as they come up, I'm able to, especially after sitting with somebody for so long and talking with him and him giving me guidance and things like that, it's like, stop what you're doing. Like if I'm in the middle of something, especially I work from home, like there's nothing that's super urgent that I can't just be like, 
let's like step back for a second like what are we doing like sometimes i'll just go hop in the car because at that point i'm forced to focus on what's in front of me in the road and not what's in my head like i can't just sit there and zone out or else i'm gonna kill somebody or i'm gonna die like you have to be aware and that forces my mind on something else where i can actually slowly pick apart other things in my head there are times where i'm just like i'll just go drive my car for an hour and a half and try to process shit that's been bothering me because if i just sit at home and like bathe in those thoughts i will let them get to me and i will start believing the negative shit even though I know I shouldn't, because I, I don't know why. <laughs> so I don't you, know how to answer why. So you lived alone throughout the entire um, pandemic stuff? I've lived alone for the last two, two and a half years. Well, I mean, I'm, I imagine you, you probably, like, before the pandemic stuff, you probably, like, went out and saw friends? Or, or have you been pretty isolated? In the, in, uh, are you in Florida now, you said? No, I've, I moved back to Ohio in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I wanted to be closer to friends uh, and family because my, my parents split. My mom moved back to Ohio. Um, so it was just easier for me to be back closer to my family and friends. I, I have a pretty small group of friends that I like to spend time with, but I see them frequently. Um, so that was, that was frequent through like 2019, but it was never, you know, I still went to bed alone every night, woke up alone every morning kind of deal. All through 2020, I basically isolated for months. Um, that's when I ended up getting my dog because I needed something. I needed interaction of some sort because I don't, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a spouse. I don't have any roommates or anything like that. It's just me how in the house you, alone. How, how old are you, by the way? I didn't. I don't think I. Are you 28? 31. 31. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hide it well. Right. Um. That. See. Yeah. That must have been. That must have been brutal. Like I, you know, my my pets yeah. my pets help a lot. Like I can't I can't stress enough how having a pet can can benefit your mental health if you're prone to right. depression or anxiety. I've talked to to some other guests about this before, but just having the routine of you know you wake up around the same time every day and give them their food. You know, around the same time you give them their walk, you give them another walk. Maybe you feed them again at night. But having that right. routine, that 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 structured schedule, and then also having this like little creature that is unconditionally devoted to you right makes, makes you feel better um but uh but that but you know i would have been not well if i would have been uh if i would have done the lockdown stuff without esme i don't think i would have handled that very well i was not well <laughs> i'm actually just now getting right like did you get and uh, it's may did you get vaccinated yeah i'm fully vaxxed Okay. Yeah. So have you, have you done anything to, um, like celebrate that? Have you like gone to, you know, like, did you go visit your family yet? Have you gone to visit friends, all that kind of stuff? Uh, well, my closest friend, Chris, uh, he moved to your neck of the woods in February. Um, so I actually went out and saw him, which was awesome. Missed California. That was great. As far as like celebration though, I mean, not really. Mm -hmm. Um, took my mom out for mother's day that was awesome first time her and i have actually gone out somewhere in a year so that was great especially you'd like to do it with her because my mom and i are very very close so that was awesome to sort of like break the mold to get back to semi normal life or what our new normal i guess is going to be um so that was nice that was i guess my celebration for vaccination yeah but 
<clears throat> I think uh, Wildcat and I are talking about uh, like a little content trip soon. Just, you know, because we, we always go to the events like PAX and stuff, not for the event, but just to see each other, like to hang out. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool place to collect people from all over the country and the world. So we're going to just sort of make our own, I think. Or if anything, like we, we do gatherings at his house uh, for like holidays occasionally. It's just like a friend's get together so getting back to doing something like that would be awesome because uh with my buddy chris leaving like that was that's my closest friend in the last 15 years so the next in line are all my creator friends so seeing them is like i want to i miss my friends (laughs) yeah come out to la and we'll get some korean barbecue dude i would love to i need to come back out there we just went to quarters that i think we went to quarters too um that one time i think that was oh was that what that place was called i don't remember i believe it was called quarters yeah and we just went back it was me hector mike and may and then Esme. and it was the first time i had gotten together with like a you know not like a huge group of friends but more than just one uh, right in in a year and it felt it felt really nice um perfect I, food I, to do it with too yeah yeah definitely um I, you know, we're running out of time a little bit here and I just, but, and I realized I didn't even ask you and maybe the, the chat doesn't know, but you actually did a road show, like a live yes. show. And for someone who describes himself as, as an anxious person or someone who struggled with anxiety and me identifying yeah. the same way, when I imagine doing a road show with anxiety <laughs> I, it, yeah. it, it gives me nightmares. Like, were there times when you were on the road where it was so unpleasant that you didn't want to do it? Um, what it, What is it? I like almost to, didn't do it because you were so fucking nervous about it. Or um, oh yeah, oh my god, yeah. Um, I, there, there was. It was. It probably came down to like the last three to four weeks before the tour started that I fully was like, I'm on board, because leading up to that, even though we had done. Um, like a test show. We had done a tester show in Los Angeles in June. The tour didn't kick off till September. In those couple of months before going on to the main tour, I was like, I don't know if I want to fucking do this, man. Like, I'm about to commit three months of my life to, of course, you know, traveling the country, but being in front of hundreds, sometimes thousand plus people all staring at me under lights. Like, when I do it in front of a camera, there's nobody here to judge me. But, and I can edit out mistakes, you know, like, yeah. I don't like, that's why I don't stream because I'm so, I want it to be good. And I feel like if I'm live all the time that it wouldn't be again, another dumb anxiety thing, but, um, yeah, I almost didn't do it in the first show that we did. Cause I entered stage in a, in a fucking hockey bag, like a gear bag is sort of like a, a gag for the, the way I entered the stage. Um, the first night that I was doing that, I was laying in the bag side stage. I got it too early and we missed our cue. I was I, I almost had a panic attack inside of a duffel bag with oh, 700 no. people watching. Like, oh, my God. Right. So I got out of that motherfucker as quickly as I could. But, you know, you get out of a bag and then you're just greeted by 700 faces. So it I almost I like I said, I almost didn't do it. And then I finally the girl I was dating at the time that wouldn't help me sort of push my, push me into therapy, helped me make the decision to actually do this as well. To just be like, this is a once in a lifetime experience. You just got to try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does, then you'll love it. So did you ever flip out on stage? No, 
Well, there was, I think it was, uh, maybe was it Tempe, Arizona, where I kept getting heckled during my little, like, like my, my solo time on stage because we, he and I would go back and forth, uh, and I would just sort of have like my solo time for 20, 30 minutes or whatever. And it wasn't negative heckling. It's just, you know, kids being kids. They're excited to see us. They're just shouting and whatever the fuck they were saying. I don't remember, but it got to me because I was telling a story about almost dying in a house fire, which was a true story. And they're just like, Woo! or, you know, whatever meme was popular at that time. Poggers. And I just, and I was just like, do you, do you want me to fucking finish? I could just go if that's fine. And I, I said it like, I just stopped. I said it in the mic. Like, do you, do you want to be here? Do you want me to be here? Because I don't have to be. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the show, everybody was like cheering and happy and stuff. But just in that moment, that was the closest I ever got to just being like, I don't. I'm not going to finish this show. Yeah. Every other show I, I, I got through. Sometimes they got long. Sometimes they got awkward. But. Um, to be totally honest, I think we, we did 27 shows. The only way I got through them was I was fucked up to some degree for every single one of them. Healthy, probably not. I can see why people that are in the comedy and touring industry get hooked on shit because sometimes it's the only way to get through. You mean like alcohol? You would take a few drinks before? Yeah, I'd either be drunk or I'd be, I'd smoke as much as I possibly could before I went out on stage. So that way. Shut the fuck up. Oh, dude, I was high for probably 22 of the 27 shows. Oh my God. <clears throat> out I, of my I, fucking mind. Oh my God. See, like alcohol, I could see, but marijuana? No. Sometimes like I have, I, uh, I have I'm a, a huge fan of the crossfade, so I'll do both. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm with that as well, but, but I have like a, I have a dedicated emote for when I get too high on stream and I start freaking out and I tell yeah. my stream about it and they fucking spam it with the emote. It's a little hutch panic attack emote, but being in front of a, a stage of hundreds of people when I was, when I'm high. Yeah. No, I would, I would, never, I would exclusively smoke that. Indica. It would slow my brain down enough for me to not, stumble over my words because my i think faster than i can speak but if i smoke like i would i would really roll up and, and dome a blunt of indica before a show so that way i could slow my thoughts down enough to perform if that makes sense i i might literally and then after the show i would smoke another one because I was so like coming down from the first one and I was like, oh my God, I just told jokes to 1400 people in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like I need like something's like, I got to chill out. So yeah. I drank a lot on that tour. We had, I don't know if you know what, uh, like with green rooms and stuff, how you sort of get accommodations at each venue. We had a bottle of whiskey every night and we almost killed it every night. Like I was definitely self-medicating through tour to make sure I got through it in one piece. Yeah. And I did. And at the end, like towards the end of it, I wasn't doing it nearly as much because I was just comfortable. I mean, I like smoking anyway, so I would still smoke a little bit, but I wasn't doing it to get through it. I was doing it to just have fun and go out there and be a little bit more casual and chill. But those first like 12, 15 shows, dude, I was, I don't, I only remember a couple of them. I was fucked. (laughs) Um, Do you find it's the case that for, in terms of public speaking, that, I've done I've done some public speaking in my life and right. I would I would always get really nervous beforehand like really nervous um mm-hmm. right right up until moments before I started to speak but then then when I would start to speak the 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 anxiety would really rapidly 
um, diminish. Uh, yeah. was, that, was that the case for you that like once you got up there on stage and you started doing your lines that uh, a lot of that anxiety just went away? Almost immediately. Like it, it, would, it was almost it's it's almost like a I compare it because the way I would pop out of a bag. It, it's so stupid, man. But I, it was almost like a jack in the box. Like as soon as I popped out of that bag. I almost treated it like I was doing theater or acting. Like when I came out of that bag, I wasn't Anthony anymore. I was big jiggly panda and I was on stage doing my show. And if I if I told myself that I was I don't want to say in character, but. You know, as a YouTuber, your personalities get exaggerated to a degree. It's not a character. It's just an exaggeration of your true self for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. Some people do it heavily. Some people do it slightly, but it's almost always going to be there to a degree. I would just go into stage mode or show mode or whatever, where I was. I don't know. Like I said, like I felt like I was method acting, like I was pretending to be a YouTuber on stage. So that way my brain wasn't like these people are judging me. They're judging the performance. Like I had to, I had to give myself something to be okay with it. Because when you're sitting there and there's lights on you and you're, you're sweating and you can feel, you know, 1200 people. So 2,400 eyes just staring at you with the way that my anxiety goes. Like I said, I had to, I almost had to like fake it, you know, like, like I had to go out there and play pretend. Right. So that way it's an act and I'm on stage and that's what it is. Now, when I, as soon as I got out there, it was, oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> right, yeah. Isn't that but, funny? But to get out on that stage, I had to, like, put myself in that mindset of, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis walking onto set to shoot There Will Be Blood. Like, right. get in the character. Don't break it. Yeah. Got a two-hour shoot. Let's go. Well, I just think it's remarkable that somebody with anxiety did a, a, a live tour. I think that's really remarkable. I think that's a testament to your character. Uh, and I remember you telling me about it when we went to Korean barbecue. And I had remembered, yeah. I had recalled that you had been open about talking about anxiety stuff on Twitter. And I remember being genuinely mind blown because I would put myself in your shoes and uh, it just seemed so overwhelming to me. But the fact that you did that, I think is great. I think, and I, I think that's one of the ways that you build self-esteem too. It's like one of the wills, yeah. one of the ways that you build ammunition to use against your brain later on down the road so the next time your brain wants to tell you that you're a fucking anxious piece of shit nobody likes you blah, and all that stuff you have this experience well no i actually did this thing and it was a lot of fun and people a lot of people liked it and it was very successful in spite right. of feeling anxious and then it makes it easier to put one foot in front of the other the next time but you got to build those experiences the worst thing you, you can do i think when you're anxious or depressed is to just collapse and withdraw from the world and not have a life and not ex, you know not have experiences uh it can be right. really uncomfortable when you're anxious or depressed to have these experiences sometimes you don't want to go hang out with your friends or your family you don't want to do these things that you know is going to be good for your soul but you just don't want to do it um so yeah you, so you almost you just, have to force yourself to be uncomfortable to get comfortable that's exactly I think that's exactly the case. I think it's really important to to do things even when you don't want to do them, when when you know that they're going to be healthy uh, and 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 good for you. Um, and the fact right. that you did that, you know, I think that sets a really good example too. So cheers to you, man. That's great. I think that's awesome. Thanks, dude. I appreciate yeah. that. It's well, definitely post tour. I definitely look at things in a different light because I tackled something like that. You know, it was, you know, obviously we made money and it was cool experiences traveling the country. But the biggest takeaway from that for me was like. I was fucking terrified of that and I conquered it and it it was great and it was successful. 
So now I look at things with a little bit of a more positive light because it's like I did that. I can do this, right? Like, I want to try stand up. Even if it's just me going to like a local little club and nobody knows who I am, like, I'm more comfortable trying it now because I've kind of done it and it was successful. Granted, everybody that was there knew who I was and wanted to be there. Whereas if I just go do sort of like an anonymous open mic, I get a true audience response, which that terrifies me. And that's yeah. where the next anxiety thing comes up. But I've performed to 1,400 people. I can do 20 at a club. They yeah. don't like it. Fuck them. You know, but I'll I try can, it again next time. But I could totally understand why that 20 people would be probably in some ways more terrifying than the 1,400. Just for the reason that yeah. you said, because you got to prove Especially yourself. Especially a comedy crowd. crowd. Yeah, of course. For sure. Right. Well, listen, so. we're, co we're coming near the end of this. I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've already been very generous with your time. I want to say thank you for that. But uh, I guess yeah, I want to cl close this out by asking you um, if there's anybody listening to this right now or who will listen to this when it's a VOD later on. <clears throat> what If there was one piece of advice that you could give someone who is struggling with uh, complex experiences like anxiety and depression, um, what, would you, what would you tell that person? Man, um, man, I don't, I don't want to make like a cliche or a trope kind of thing, but it's like, <laughs> it almost seems like a lot of the things that lead to anxiety are the ultimatum is a failure of some sort, whether it's social interaction and you fucking that up or mine was going on stage and messing that up is I, I genuinely feel like the only time you've failed at something is when you didn't even try. If you tried something and you, and you mess it up, at least you can learn from it and you from that experience, you can gain some sort of comfort or sort of guidance of how you can approach another situation. But if you like, if you're anxious about going and hanging out with friends and you never, ever do it, you'll never get past that anxiety. If you push yourself a little bit to be uncomfortable and you try it and it doesn't work. Okay, that's fine. You gave it a shot. Most of the time it probably will work out. So, I mean, it's like what we said earlier. You got to force yourself to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it sucks. And that the thought of that makes you anxious, but it's 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 worth it. Like I did not try a lot of things for the first 25 years of my life, and I'd rather live with the feeling of me trying something and it not working out than me living with 25 years of regret that I didn't do this shit because I was too afraid to try. So, try. Fucking try. Whatever you want to try that you're anxious of, try it. I would also add to that that um, also finding people that you know I'm I'm really encouraged when I look at um young people these days. Uh, I think you know there's lots of complaints about maybe like being a little too woke and maybe there's some merit merit to that in some respects. Yeah. But uh, but but the fact that young kids now it seems to me that they're placing a higher priority on things like mental health and uh and, sure. and being vulnerable. Um, so I would say just to add on to that finding like-minded people who you can be vulnerable with like let's say you go out hang out with your friends you're just not feeling it internally you're feeling anxious you're feeling fucking depressed and all that um ideally you would be able to have a group of friends where you could pull one or two of them aside and literally just tell them that and just and just get right. it get it off your chest and i think in doing that when you share these kinds of things it diminishes the power a little bit it's not probably not going to go away entirely but i think it will take some of that burden off your shoulders if you can find people that are safe that you know that you can be open with and they're not going to look at you and you know call you a weirdo or tell you that you're being a pain in the ass 
you know, a good, right. encourage, good encouraging friend will, will listen to you and be like, I totally understand why you feel that way. I'm glad you came out. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you told me. Thanks for sharing. And then that alone can be very freeing, I think. Yeah. If you so. meet someone like that, hold on to them. They're important. I've got one or two. That's yeah. about really all you need, though, to be honest with you. I mean, you got two ple- one or two people that you can genuinely tell anything and be comfortable with. Like, I mean, I don't want to say it's not like I'm bragging because I know not everybody will find that. But it search for it, I guess, because it's it's nice to have just that connection. Somebody that understands that that knows that you're feeling or knows how you're feeling, I guess. Um, especially like if people that are watching this, we're all on social media. I mean, finding like minded people is easier than it's ever been before. So, yeah, absolutely. I definitely like what you said there about like just the whole especially with friends like they have to be you know you don't need 40 friends to make you feel important you just need a couple really good ones that support and care about you genuinely not just there for i don't know the ride i guess yeah i don't know about you but i can't it's hard for me to have more than just a few really close friends because if i if if i start getting real kind of like emotional and raw with you know, too many people, then I feel stretched thin. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have the energy in the, uh, to, to, to be the kind of friend that I want to be to people. I don't know if that's the case for you, but that's yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say it's exhausting doing that, but it, it's, it's time consuming and you don't want to make sure, like, I want to make sure that if someone is in need that I can give them my full attention, not have 16 different people pulling me different ways that yeah. need something or that I've agreed to or promised. Like, I've probably got in the in in my local area in Ohio here that I hang out with personally, three people, four people that I routinely see. Other than that, I just I don't I sit at home like I'm genuinely OK hanging out with my dog because. I, I don't I don't know, I don't I no Those longer. Put, awesome? Yeah, I no hmm. longer put worth in other people's opinions of me, though. Um, that took a, a long, long time to get to. I mean, the last couple of years. But yeah. I, I don't I no longer rely on endless friendships and being around people for me to be OK, because that's how I was as a child, because I was bullied for not being OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, man, um, Mr. Sark donated uh, 10 subs, so I think he's saying hi to you, too, as well. Um, but- oh, Sark, what's up, man? But thank you again for coming on, man. Uh, this is a, sort of a labor of love, uh, for, you know, this little project that I'm doing right now. But in, in I many, like it, man. I love it. I get so much out of these talks. I, I genuinely enjoy the insight that people like you give me. So, um, you know, I'll speak on behalf of Chad as well. Thank you for, for coming on and, uh, and uh, sharing your experience with us. It's not the most intuitive thing to do as a content creator is to like <laughs> get in front of a camera and be like super vulnerable like this, but you know, you did it and I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people benefited from it. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. When I got the message, I was really excited because it's as I'm going down this journey, cause it's, it's an endless journey, the mental health one, like it never stops. It never fully goes away. Um, but as I'm getting more and more comfortable talking about it and addressing what I'm going through, I really, especially with the platform that we have, just routinely like to tweet things or like just put out little bumps to people that it's like, you're not the only person that feels like this. You're not the only person struggling. Like we gotcha. Like it's, we're we're a whole community of people that are like-minded and have the same issues and it's okay to be 
yourself and be vulnerable and because uh, people will have your back because they go through the same shit as you. <laughs> Indeed. Very much so, yes. All right, buddy. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, brother.